So we're in Isaiah 26 and 27, which is kind of a strange couple of chapters. Kind of a mixed up couple of chapters. So in, in order to better understand it, we're going to start back a little bit. A couple weeks ago, we were in Isaiah 24, 25, then we took a week off. So let me just start with reviewing Isaiah 24 and 25. Isaiah 24, you may remember the greedy, deceitful plunderers. Uh, Isaiah 24 is, describes God's judgment upon the world. The, the, the judgment upon the world being through the work of evil people. So it's a little bit of a different kind of judgment scenario. Isaiah 24 describes judgment not in a sort of flood-like torrent, but through the defiling work of the inhabitants of the earth. That judgment was going to come to the, to the world. And then in Isaiah 25, so Isaiah 24 is all about this judgment. It's all about the loss of joy, except for this small group of people who are filled with joy at God's judgment. And we meet and hear those people in Isaiah 25, the people of God who are celebrating God's victory. They get to see him do righteousness and what they've longed for and hoped for. They get to see him save. So Isaiah 24 describes this judgment. Isaiah 25 describes this celebration. But now in Isaiah 26 and 27, we return to a, a kind of a different position, a different setting. So Isaiah 24 is, is looking forward to what God's doing. Isaiah 25 is looking forward to what God's doing. Isaiah 26 and 27 kind of returns us back to sort of our place, a place where we hear about what God has done. We hear the good news of God's victory, but we're still living through the troubles of Isaiah 24. We're still living through the, the judgments of sin that are just woven through life on this earth. So if Isaiah 24 is all like, oh no, God's judgment, and Isaiah 25 is, oh yeah, we win, and Isaiah 26 and 27 are, okay. That's Isaiah 24, 25, 26 and 27. It's about how to live a Isaiah 25 celebratory faith in an Isaiah 24 judgment kind of world. And we need to hear this just like Isaiah his congregation needed to hear it too. Because we celebrate God's victory in Jesus way more than, than they did looking forward. We celebrate it knowing that it's a historical reality. And yet we don't see his victory fully in the world, do we? Right? The earth is not filled with the knowledge of his glory like the waters cover the sea. There are people all over the world who are worshiping him, but that's a different thing. We don't see the earth filled with the knowledge of his glory like the waters cover the sea yet. Greedy, deceitful plunderers, we see this every day in the news, are still defiling the world and mocking those people of faith. And so Isaiah 26 and 27 describe in three different blocks, three different difficulties for people of faith in this world. The first difficulty is just the difficulties of life. This is what chapter 26, verses 8 to 19 are all about. So look with me over here. This is a section you may have noticed of kind of lamenting prayers. Look at all the O Lords here. Uh, verse 8, O Lord. Verse 11, O Lord. 12, 13, 15, 16, 17. This whole section is infused with O Lord, O Lord. Prayers and lamentation. The first one is in verses 8 to 10, the first sort of subject. Look with me in verses 9 and 10. 
In this prayer, Isaiah says, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he doesn't learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly, and he does not see the majesty of the Lord. And what Isaiah is describing here is what a lot of us experience as well, which is that we don't experience God's presence in our lives in a way that we would like. And not only that, which is bad in and of itself, but we kind of see out of the corner of our eyes that the wicked are doing fine. They almost seem to be experiencing God's blessing in their life, and we're not. And this can be very, very confusing. Right? You ever, you know, just get done dealing with your bills, and then like you look across at the TV and something goes on there, and you just think, I just don't get this. Here I am struggling. Here they are prospering. It's going to be very confusing. The second section in this part of prayers here, verses 11 to 15. Let's look at verse 11. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. Look at verse 13. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. And and then now let's go to verse 15. But you've increased the nation, that's the the Jewish people. O Lord, you've increased the nation, you are glorified, you've enlarged all the borders of the land. What is this talking about? He's saying that sometimes we have adversaries and sometimes they rule over us, and then at other times we enter a season of peace and flourishing. This is very frustrating. We want God's work and will to be one thing. Right, so at this point in our lives, most of us, when we experience a season that seems to be peaceful and good, we go, right? Like, when, when are my adversaries going to rise up and rule over me again? Life is confusing. Life is frustrating. And then the last section here, verses 16 to 19, look at me, verse 16. O oh Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Verses 18, we were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We've accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. So in this, in this part of the prayer, we see the psalmist like going through distressing seasons, which we're okay with. Right? We go through distressful seasons, but we want to see some good come out of it. Like, I'm willing to go through this season, but, but Lord, I want to see you work. And he's saying, and it doesn't seem like you're working. We're going through distress, distressful seasons, and no good is coming of it. We're not accomplishing anything in this world. Why am I praying? Why am I trying to be a Christian witness in my workplace? Why am I trying to do good work? Why am I trying to do this stuff? Nothing's coming of it. And so even though there's this really interesting reference to the resurrection, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, we look forward to the resurrection, but that's not enough. We want to see God work today. We we worry about today. It's nice to know the resurrection is coming, but we want to see God work today. And and so this is disappointing to us. I want, I want to know that my life counts for something, that my, my hardships and my troubles are, are working some kind of good, and I want to see it. And so God's people, 
here at the beginning of this passage, we see that they live in a world that is confusing, frustrating, and disappointing. It's a, sometimes a very sad, we get very sad, right? And this can be very, very hard on our faith. When you get into these kind of places, you and I feel like, what is God doing? God, what are you, I just don't, what are you doing? It's confusing. It's frustrating. I'm, we would never probably say this, but I'm disappointed with you, God. I'm disappointed with you. I thought, I thought we had an arrangement. I thought things were going to be different than they are. But not only are there difficulties in life, but we also live in kind of a scary world. The world is also dangerous. This is the next section here in Isaiah 26. Look at verses 20 through chapter 27, verse 1. So in verse 20 says, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your door behind you. Hide yourself for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. In that day, the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. message of judgment here. What's really interesting is how nonspecific it is. There's no reference to any people or or people group or time or country or nation. It's almost specifically general. In fact, there's overtones. If you kind of know the story of the Bible, it sounds a little bit like flood language. language. Come get in a little bit like Passover language. Shut the door, get in here. And there's reference to Leviathan. This is apocalyptic language. This is uh, kind of a, a sampling of images and language from different parts of Scripture to, to kind of give us a general sense of, of this judgment. But there's two clear emphases here, which the first is really great news, which is that God will judge. He will judge the wicked. He will do righteousness on the earth. And the second emphasis is that this is going to be really scary. The fury of the Lord is coming. He's coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. And we know from our bigger context that this judgment is the judgment referred to back in chapter 24. In fact, that, that, that phrase, the inhabitants of the earth in verse 21, only occurs in chapter 24 and here in Isaiah 26 as well. This is the same judgment. And, and remember how that judgment's going to happen. It's not going to just happen all at once at the end. It's going to be dripped and drabbed through history because of sin and because of the curse that's on the world and that is going to be a scary experience for God's people right so the difficulties of judgment are that big bad things are going to happen and those things are going to affect us too there's a there's a a virus going around the world some of you may have heard of called COVID right what did you why did you do COVID Did you do, did you, any of you guys do COVID, right? I didn't do COVID, but is it affecting your life? Right? Where did COVID come from, right? It came from, we we don't know, sinful human hubris, pride, foolishness. We don't, right, that's where it came from. And, and as we talked about, Isaiah 24 is all about how the consequences, the punishments for these things, are built into the sins themselves. And so th- this is, some, in some measure, judgment. 
And are you experiencing some of the negative consequences of that? Absolutely. Right? And that, this can be very hard on faith. And this isn't the first thing that you've seen like this either, right? How many of these sorts of things, how many of these stories, how many of these natural disasters or man-made problems have come into our lives, right? And this can also be hard on our faith because we look out at what's happening and then how we're being affected and we say, why is this happening? God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? I just don't see what's going on here. Difficulties of judgment. And then the last part of our passage, beginning in chapter 27, verse 2 to the end of 27, is all about the difficulties of sanctification. Now you hear sanctification and you say, sanctification, I love sanctification. I love the Spirit working in my life to make me more like Jesus. Well, that's good. You should love it. But there's some challenges involved. Let's look here. So if you look at chapter 27, verse 2, you see that in that day, a pleasant vineyard. Remember the vineyard image throughout Isaiah? All the way back in, I believe it's chapter 6. My my people is this vineyard. But now this vineyard is going to be restored. Look here at verse 6. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. So this passage begins with this description of of God's people as this flourishing vineyard. This fruitful vineyard that's filling the whole world. But where did all that fruit come from? Look with me at verses 7 to 9. Where did all that fruitfulness in verse 6 come from? Verse 7, has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure by exile you contended with them. He removed them with his fierce breath in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no ashram or incense altars will remain standing." Where did all this fruitfulness come from in the life of God's people? <clears throat> it came as God removed their attachments to other gods. God removed their idols. He removed their attachment to other gods. That is a most unpleasant experience. Because you only have idols in your life. People only have idols in their life because they really need them. Because they really like them. They're really working good for me. And then to have those things removed, something I love, something I rely on, is a very painful experience. I mean, if we had a Wednesday night class on purging idols from your life, there would be nobody at it. Right? When's the last time that you repented of something? You genuinely repented of something. You were like, here is a thing in my life, something I love, something I rely on, something I make use of all the time, and now I see its corrosive effect on my faith. Now I see how it comes out of fear or greed or lust and not out of faith and love. And I'm just, I'm getting rid of it. I'm excising it from my life so that I can turn and I can rejoice in the Lord and follow him more closely. When was the last time we did this sort of thing? We don't, want, we don't like to do those sorts of things. That's hard. Right? As sinning sinners in a sin-loving world, becoming more like Jesus can be very, it can be very painful. Right? It can be very painful. 
Do you ever have this experience as a Christian where like you're sort of kind of keyed in that maybe this is a thing from God, like maybe you made the mistake of praying for patience or something, or you made the mistake of praying for wisdom and you're like, oh boy, okay. And then something bad comes into your life and your heart is just crying out to the Lord, God, I don't see how this is good. How is this? How is this going to be worked out for good. I was relying on that thing and you took it away. I love that thing and now it's falling apart. How is this going to be good? We're very hard on our faith there as well. We're going to keep talking about Isaiah 26 and 27. Let me just take a theological aside for just a moment because I want to be clear about something. All right, so the process by which Israel becomes fruitful can be analogous to the way that God makes us fruitful as well. Through the, specifically through the removal of our attachments to other gods, the removal of these idols from our life. But we need to make sure that we understand a very important difference between what their experience was and what your experience is going to be like. They were being punished for their sins by their God. You will never, Christian, ever be punished for your sin by your God. That is the point of Jesus. He was punished for your sin by the God, by God, so that you will never have to face punishment for your sin from Him. Now, right, sin is its own delight, right? So uh, sin, you will be punished by sin, right? You will be, that's right, you will be punished by sin, right? You want to be a professional bowling ball juggler, you're going to be concussed from time to time, Right? And the better you get it, you sh- this is what sin is like. That's not the judgment of God on that bowling ball juggler. No, you're just buggling, juggling bowling balls, buddy. Like you're going to get concussed. This is how sin works for us. But you need to understand that their experience was God judging them, God punishing them for their sin. That's not a thing that is going to happen for you and me. So we are going to have our idols removed and it's going to be very painful. But it's not what they're going through exactly. All right, so back on our path. Life is sad. Scary things happen. And sanctification hurts. So now, so far so good. But what can God do for us while we are waiting? What can God do for us to heal our faith in this difficult life? What can God do to keep us through life's difficulties and scary things? What can God do to even strengthen our faith in this time? So now let's look back at the beginning of our passage, Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. Turn with me to Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4, two very, very, very important verses. Here is what God has done and what He will do. God, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on You because He trusts in You. So trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And this is really the, the main point of this whole section. What Isaiah wants, this is the, the one command that dominates these two chapters. God will keep us at peace as we fix our minds upon him. Now this, there's this extraordinary phrase, perfect peace here. Perfect peace. This is a doubling of the word shalom. It's just a shalom shalom, which is a way in Hebrew of saying this is super shalom. 
This is super duper shalom. This is God's own shalom. Like there's the, there's the shalom that, that he's calling us into, and we need to understand here what God wants to share with us is his peace. Can you imagine how peaceful God is? This is his peace. What's God worried about? What has God ever been worried about? Right, this is that peace. This is what he says in verse 4. He says, The Lord God is an everlasting rock. An everlasting rock. That's his peace. That's the, the way he is. Eternally solid. Eternally unshakable. All of the things that affect us, that worry us, that bother us, that hurt us, that keep us awake at night, that wake us up early in the morning, none of those things affect God. He's an everlasting rock. And he wants to share that with us. So how do we get in on that kind of peace? What does it say? You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is whose mind is stayed. It's kind of an old-timey phrase, right? Whose mind is stayed on you. What does that mean? Stayed, uh, whose mind is affixed to you. I want, I want to use the image this morning of, of clipping in, clipping in to the everlasting rock. Any of you, uh, if you're familiar, this is a, a phrase from the world of rock climbing. So I don't know if you can kind of see when rock climbers are going up a rock face, right, they're getting higher and higher, and it's all rock. So if they were to slip because they weren't weak enough or because a storm came through and affected them, if they were, right, because for any reason, they would fall to their death. So what they do is they bring a rope up with them, attached to them, and as they're making their way up the, the rock, there's bolts in the stone with clips attached to them. And they take their rope and they clip in to the rock. So this person, right, they're, they're clipping in. And as they're clipped in, they're able to uh, try very difficult things. They're, they're able to go into very difficult moments of their experience climbing up the rock because they are clipped in. So God keeps us. God keeps us in perfect peace. You see that in verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace. We don't keep ourselves. I want you to, to understand, because this can be a little bit confusing. I'm going to call us, the scripture's calling us to clip into the everlasting rock. That's not you keeping you. This is still God keeping us. This isn't positive self-talk. This is receiving God's word, attaching our minds to his truths. You know, there may be a place for positive self-talk in your life, but that's a different thing than what this is. Positive self-talk is me saying things about me to me. Hey, buddy, you can do it. You're almost there. You, you've got it. You've got it, buddy. You've got it. What this is, is God saying things about God. This is God saying things about God. This is God saying, I am the everlasting rock. I am the Holy One of Israel. I'm the Lord your God who did all this for you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not ever going to lose you. I'm not ever going to leave you. It's a very different power and strength in those words versus, hey, you can do it, bud. 
being spoken by me to me. When we attach to the everlasting rock, when we clip into the everlasting rock, we become solid too. Right? His, the solidity of the everlasting rock is transferred to me. So whereas previously, if I slipped because I'm confused or frustrated or disappointed, I would have fallen. Whereas previously, if a storm came through, I mean, imagine the experience of a climber who's, who's not clipped in and a storm comes through and a climber who is clipped in. Right? If you're clipped in, you're still going to probably get bruised and beat up a little bit, and it's going to be a little bit scary. But if you're not clipped in, you're just, you're just gone. And the climber who, who makes it so high, but they're weak, and they're not clipped in. It's a very different, very different experience. We can be sad. Life can be scary. We can be being sanctified, but we're not going to be swept away because we are getting strength from the everlasting rock through these attachments. How does this work? It works through, and we talked about this on Wednesday in our uh, spiritual health class, it works through specific truths, stories, and promises that are applied to you and your situation. So staying our minds on the Lord is not just reading your Bible or just sort of staying awake through a Sunday morning service. This is going into Scripture and hearing about specific truths, specific stories, specific promises, commands, songs that, hey, that's for me. I need to hear that right now. And you lock into those. For example, we've got some of them from our passage here. So in the first section, the the life is difficult passage, we learn that in the difficulties of life, we can cry out, O Lord. We can talk to the Lord and the Lord will listen to us. In the second section of our passage about the judgments, we learn that God will keep us safe through the judgments. He will keep us safe through the big bad things. And in the last section, in the, the part about sanctification, we learn that God will, he will make us fruitful through sanctification. So are there bad things happening in the world? God will keep us. He will keep us. Are there hard things happening in your life? God will make you fruitful through those things. He is at work in your life. And the things that we learn about God, even just in this little chapter here, we learn and see so much more clearly in Jesus. God listens to us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. We have a great high priest, Jesus the Son of God, who's at the right hand of the Father. And so now we can with boldness and confidence come before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and help in our time of need. So much more so, right? And being kept from the wrath and judgment of God in, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation, right? And so Paul's able to say, I'm convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us in any way from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know, we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives so that we all, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We know that each person of God is at work in our life to accomplish these things. We hear it here. We see it throughout Scripture. Those are specific truths that may be helpful for you today, but are surely going to be helpful for you at some point. Grab onto those things. Clip into them. And so, Isaiah says, trust in the Lord, verse 4, trust in the Lord forever. Trust in the Lord forever. What does forever mean for you? 
It means trust in the Lord in the good times. And trust in the Lord in the bad times. And forever means trust in the Lord in the worst times. What's that going to look like? Again, we, we see this described in these chapters, but we see it throughout Scripture as well. Sometimes trusting in the Lord looks like crying out to the Lord. Right? Sometimes when you're crying out to the Lord, you feel like, I, I don't have much faith, that's why I'm crying out. No, 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 that is an act of faith. Crying out to the Lord is faith. We see this in the story of Hannah, the beginning of 1 Samuel. Right? Hannah Hannah's famous for she wanted a kid. But that's not all she wanted. Remember what she said she was going to do with this kid? She was going to dedicate him to the Lord's service. And when she sings her song in, in 1 Samuel 2, she says, I want this kid to go for you, Lord, so that you can use him to accomplish your plan, to bring about the king of Israel and to get us back on track with your will. But she's, she's, she wants this kid. She wants to see God do his will on earth. And so she goes to pray at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And she pours out her heart to the Lord in such a way that the high priest there had never seen. He had never seen somebody pray with such intensity and such passion in his life that he goes and he rebukes her for what she's doing. He doesn't understand it. Right? She's, do you feel like that sometimes? Just, ugh, that's faith. Sometimes trusting the Lord in the worst times looks like crying out to him. Sometimes it looks like hiding yourself in him. We talked about this on Wednesday as well. At the end of 1 Samuel, David, in this extraordinary, extraordinarily bad situation where literally all the people in his life who liked him were discussing whether or not to kill him. And it says that David, in that moment, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Like he, he sort of, he disappeared from the moment and he went back and he clipped into specific promises and things that he knew about the Lord. And then in the next verse, he comes out of it and he's able to step out and lead his people and his friends in faith again. And sometimes when we're going through sanctif sanctifying situations, sometimes trust looks like just stay upright. Just walk through this hard thing with the Lord. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 he says, the God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction so that we can give comfort to others as well. And he says, I learned this. A few verses later, he says, I learned this in Ephesus when we were facing wild beasts. And God brought us to a place where we despaired of life. And what Paul says, he says, and I understand why he did that. It was so that we would put our hope completely on the God who raises the dead. He said, I had to learn a very specific thing about God in that moment. And I'm so glad that I did. So God allows hardships, the difficulties of life, the difficulties of the big bad things, these sad, sorrowful, scary, sanctifying experiences. He allows these things because it's there that we get to know that we get to know what we have in him for real. The, the, the point of this whole passage is that real peace is formed when we hold these real truths through real difficulties. That's where you get shalom, shalom. That's where you get real peace. And this is God's promise. That God will keep us in peace when we go through our hardships. When we go into our hardships with Him. The Word of God gives us what we need to go through life's troubles with peace. The everlasting rock will make you and me solid as well. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for the call to clip ourselves into the everlasting rock. Lord, I think every single one of us is experiencing probably all three of these difficult things. The sorrows of life, the scary things of the world that we live in, and the difficulties of being sanctified. But you have not left us in these difficult places alone, but you have given us your word. And through your word, you communicate your presence to us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come now and would you work in our hearts And would you lead us to trust in the Lord forever? And would you lead us to clip in to the word of God, to the everlasting rock, by believing specific truths and promises and and stories that can give us specifically hope, peace, joy, strength in what we are facing. So Lord, we entrust this work to you And we ask that you would do it according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.